looks like a police box, stuck in a junkyard, can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Hi. Hello. Who are you? I, um, I'm Jeffrey Davis, I think. Who are, are you? you? I'm reasonably sure that I'm Ethan Gibney. Oh. I was earlier when I looked at my ID. That might not be true anymore. Right. I mean, these IDs, they're very tricksy. Yes. They so, keep changing when I don't look at them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's because they're relative to space and time, much like the TARDIS. Do you see how I very smoothly segued? For some values of smooth, yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly you got to the point. I did get to the point. What are we doing? Uh, well, we are recording a podcast ostensibly. Episode zero. Episode zero. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the unaired pilot of Doctor Who. So this unaired pilot uh, features some interesting uh, plot diversions. Yeah, the Doctor's a villain. Yeah, it's shot like a horror movie from the era. Yeah, nineteen sixty three being the era. Yeah, yeah, it's got this uh, noir feel. It's got this very sparse kind of absurdist staging but like low budget noir so everything's on a soundstage but not a great soundstage right right you're supposed to get the feeling that this is this expansive junkyard except that there's a shadow exactly 10 feet away from the camera at all times the camera moves a lot too yeah that's through a, the whole thing that, that was really jarring uh having a lot of camera movement without character movement yeah. um and they moved a lot too, though. Surprisingly, surprisingly for a especially for a Doctor Who script, yeah. you know, without you know any hallways. There were very. I think there was like one hallway. I counted. There was one hallway at the beginning, and no one was running. Right. That's weird. Yeah. So, so some of the tropes hadn't come in yet. Right. They, they were still incubating in the trope chamber. That's an interesting phrase that I'm sure H.R. Giger would be very proud of. Yes, H.R. Giger had a lot of things to say about the trope chamber. I mean, he was just very vociferous about how tropes emerged from their viscous fluid. I'm not going to do the voice. No, I'm, neither am I. Great. So we <laughs> open with the, we open with the Doctor Who opening titles. Yes, kind of. Kind There's of. a weird gunshot sound in the beginning, and yeah. it's different from normal. Even different from normal First Doctor. We should context, probably. We should. The BBC yes. hires this Canadian producer. Oh. He creates a little show. Really? Called Doctor Who. Oh. I may have heard of that. It's about a police box in space. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Stop. <laughs> the police box has a doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Yes. Okay, that's I'm not with the exciting you. part. I'm with you now. The exciting part is he hires the BBC's first female producer. Oh, who's that? Verity Lambert. And they hired a non-white director. His name was Waris Hussein. He's Indian. Wait, did this and happen like twenty, like ten, like five years ago? No, this happened in 1963. 1963, and a non-white director and a woman producer. What? Right? Get out of this room. I'd rather not. You won't be able to hear me from there. That's very true. <laughs> so. So they hire Anthony Coburn. Oh. He writes a script. It's okay. called An Unearthly Child. Oh. The BBC films it. 
Is the child... It's shitty. <laughs> is the child the police box? No. Oh. The child is a young woman by the name of Susan Foreman who is supposed to be 15 years old and is being played by a 23-year-old. <laughs> I may have long time had a crush on Carolyn Ford. Really? Look at the surprise on your face. I'm... I, I can't... I can't detach my face to look at my face. Well, you should work on that. I don't know what's happening anymore. We should get back on Yeah, we should, thing. we should get back to the point here. So we open with the Doctor Who opening credits. Oh, whoa. And everything's really strange and black and white. And it feels kind of like Outer Limitsy. It feels Outer Limitsy. It feels very much of sci-fi in the 60s. And then we fade to a policeman. Yes. On a street in front of a sign that will become iconic. I am Foreman. 76 Totters Lane. Huh. Scrap merchant. Scrap merchant. I mean that that there's something for your guidance counselor, right? It's like, <laughs> what am I what am I gonna be growing up to to be? I'm gonna be a scrap merchant, mom. I don't know why my mother's my guidance counselor, but you went uh, to a weird high school. I did, and so did Susan, because <laughs> <laughs> she, you are bad at segways. Look, I am it. I am the I'm the best at segways. I don't know what you're talking about. So a thing. Yes. So before we see this policeman, yes. and then he kind of opens the door and right. the camera goes into the scrap merchant and it's shot like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but we kind of sift through the the the, the, the junkyard and we finally reach a police box. It gets a lot of love. It does. It spends a lot of time just kind of showing us the police box. And there's a weird statue there. Yeah. A lot of weird statues. A lot of weird statues. There was like an odd clown doll face yeah. thing happening in the background. Um, it was very alarming to see. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it hurt, it hit a little bit of my horror buttons. Because I think if I saw like a random police box in a junkyard with weird clown faces, I would not, I would not go there for dinner. I, I probably wouldn't either. Because I wouldn't like what they're serving. Oh. So, <laughs> after lots of loving shots of the TARDIS, and then the TARDIS comes up, an unearthly child. What does that mean? Right. We go to a school. Did the school have a name? Uh, I, wasn't it supposed to be Cole Hill? I think from history, we're supposed, from the future, the next 40 years of television. Right. Uh, we're supposed to assume that it is Cole Hill, where the seventh doctor eventually ends up doing some stuff. Right. Um, I don't think it was actually... Like mentioned in the episode. Right. Yeah. Not this one. It might happen in the rewrite later. Right. Anyway, we're in a hallway. Yes. There's this teacher. We'll find out eventually her name is Barbara Wright. She goes and talks to her buddy Ian Chesterton. Yes. There's a whole bunch of points here that uh, sort of a general theme. Ian Chesterton is the person who ends up this kind of grade F uh <laughs> 60s sexism you know where the first thing he does is like you, you we're talking about this problem polymath student right susan foreman who's and, uh, the point is that she is just smarter than everything she's correcting people about history she's correcting people about science she thinks it's 20 years from now right because she thinks at this point that england is using a decimal currency which she's not which right. it's not what's interesting is that this does actually happen eight years before decimal day happens in England. Oh, yes. Um, but she refers to it as if that should have already happened. That's a whole other podcast. That is a whole That's other podcast. That's the Decimal Currency Podcast. That's the Decimal Currency Podcast. Yes. So we get this account of Barbara trying to follow Susan home. And I get the concerned teacher, and I, I really do. And we're talking about primary school-age children here. But she's following a student home. Yeah. 
Um, and then she discovers, oh, it's just a junkyard. And that's, you know, we're not going to call normal. Him, that's normal. You know, we're not going to call a social worker. We're just going to tell my coworker about it, who's then going to tell us, no, you got it wrong because you're clearly woman. And secretary got it wrong because clearly probably a woman. <laughs> um, you know, I, Ian was kind of a misogynist to me in this one. But, you know, it's, you know, it's the 60s. It's great F. Sexism. I'm not necessarily convinced that he's a misogynist such much as he just wants to go home because he's tired. <laughs> you would say that. I would. Now, I'm not saying there's no misogyny because holy shit later. Yeah, holy shit The later. future's going to happen. We're going to get to Joe Grant. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a lot worse later. Yeah. I mean, I love Pertwee, but I don't love Pertwee in that way at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a cape... A cape is awesome, but a cape does not make up for that. Anyway, anyway, before I before I get to, so distracted by Pertwee's anyway, cape, and and much of the complaints about this one will be handled in the eventual rewrite that actually does air. Good job, rewrite. I'm proud. A plus five stars would 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 and watch again. I guess yes. Um, for a science teacher, Ian doesn't seem very curious about anything. Yeah, he's phoning it in. He's absolutely phoning it in. Which is also kind of my evidence that he just wants to go home and get some sleep. <laughs> so basically, this man, this man's job is an entire inconvenience to him. And uh, he's, he's not really interested in being there. He's, the only joy he gets out of life is apparently combining non-active substances <laughs> so that they that way they change colors and uh talking to tormenting uh his co-worker barbara but and can't then, we just combine some active substances it's so much more fun speaking of that at that scene and others susan's eye acting yeah yeah what 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 was what was that i mean it was like you know, when you're an alien, apparently, you, you're constantly shifting your eyes around as if you're trying to see an escape route. At, at one point, I wrote down the phrase, what is subtlety? <laughs> because that's not a thing that this show knows anything about at this point. <laughs> what is subtlety? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the jokes don't get better. Um, so, yeah, no. No. Um, so they go and they talk to Susan briefly. Yes. Barbara loans Susan a book on the French Revolution. She oh, says, kind. I can't wait to read it. I'll bring it back tomorrow. Barbara says, well, you don't need to do that. You can just, you can bring it back when you're finished reading it. And Susan says, I will have. Right. I will have. And this is clearly time travel. Do you get it? Do you get that its show is about time travel? And then they leave... Because they're going to follow her home. Right. Which means they have to leave first so that they can, you know, see her leave. So that way they can park, like, a... ten feet away from the junkyard. Like... Yes. <laughs> with the headlights on. Right. Just kind of talking to each other, making no effort to hide. Yeah. But, so, Susan does this thing where she takes a blank piece of paper. Oh, yes. And an inkwell, and just kind of dabs some ink onto the paper, and then does an ink blot with it, which folds over the paper. And... Yeah, sort of Jackson Pollock meets Rorschach. And then she just abuses that poor pen. Yeah. And draws a hexagon around the pattern. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's we're like, supposed to take. Is it, is it, it take supposed to be that? like, are you supposed to think, oh, this is connected to those weird opening titles that looked, I guess, like that? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
And what, and what I thought was interesting was that they're immediately tiling, tiling? Yeah, they're tiling and, or tying uh, alien behavior to the spontaneous practice of psychoanalysis, a la Freud. Um, I think this is an interesting commentary, perhaps unintentional. In fact, quite intentionally unintentional. Um, <laughs> I believe you keep going. <laughs> that, uh, you know, we have this sort of alien behavior and they, they analyze things differently. We, uh, they, they have this different reasoning processes that they just have to somehow express in the wild form of Rorschach. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it, it almost looks like it's supposed to be unintentional. Sure. Because she, she finishes it, and then she looks scared, like, oh no, what have I just done? And then she rips it up. Right. Because um, she, maybe she has some weird identity crisis about being a, a Gallifreyan. Yes. Although That's a term we won't hear for several decades to come. True facts. <sighs> They're just weird. Or did, I, I can't remember. Did, did they mention Time Lords? Like, actual Time Lords and Time Hardness? Lords don't get mentioned until the end of the second Doctor. Wow. Yeah. That um, late. So... Ian Barbara follow her all creepily and not even slightly subtly. Yeah, there's no junkyard, and she looks like she's being followed when mm -hmm. Susan looks like she's being followed when she goes into the junkyard, and I guess just doesn't look in the direction of the car. <laughs> well, it looks like to, she looks in the direction, and then she's okay. like, "Oh, that's completely normal." To be fair, <laughs> if you're standing in the headlights of a car and you look at the car you can't see the people in the car true fact so maybe we should be giving them more credit yeah. they still only parked 10 feet away from the door which <laughs> seems like a mistake right because conveniently Susan walked in from the only direction where she couldn't have seen them <laughs> right right I, I have written right down in my notes apparently my reaction to her drawing the Rorschach is shit I drew a Rorschach um <laughs> It's like, oh crap! The grandpa's gonna catch me with this again. Yeah, no, um, my note about that was literally, "What are you doing to that poor pen?" <laughs> right, right. Because I don't press that hard. <laughs> right. Break the nib a billion times. So, I also think that this is this episode is interesting. Barbara forgot a line. Oh, sorry. She, she, oh, yeah, <laughs> that was really funny. She completely flubbed her line. Because cool, it's funny because it's William Hartnell who will eventually be famous for that. Right. <laughs> but in the honored pilot, he's got them all right because he's got cue cards that you can see him aggressively reading. <laughs> oh, Barbara forgets a line. Well, was he reading them or was he just actively being an alien, judging on his? There was one <laughs> real close up of him where his face fills the entire frame, yeah. and his eyes are absolutely reading left yeah, to right. Yeah, they are. Yeah, no, that's aliens get cue cards. That's the that's the moral of the story. That's um, also intergalactic law. Yes, absolutely. According to the Pontifex Considerate, I don't know. The Pontifex Considerate. I, I heard the uh, the author who shall not be named uh, came up with that. Yeah. yeah no. Did you just compare a stupid improv thing of mine <laughs> to... <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, I'm sorry. I mean, I guess if my stupid improv is that bad, then no, my writing must be better. No, 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 no. no. I'm saying that uh, the author who must not be named, uh, the best he can hope for is your stupid improv. Do you see how I reverse that? I, yeah, no. I'm not going to work through it because it's you, late on a Sunday. That's right. Short version, we're actively not talking about the new series. We'll let you figure it out. Yeah, no. 
Uh, what new series? I don't know what, what? you're talking about. I don't about. know what you're yeah. talking about. I, I don't know this. The TARDIS is alive. Yeah, well, that was interesting that Ian was the first one to notice that, to say yeah. that. So they come up to the, this, they, they they check out this, this junkyard, and Ian trips a couple times. <laughs> right. And his flashlight breaks, <laughs> and eventually just, they come across this police box. He just rolls on what he fails forward. Yes, he fails forward. Yeah. And they come up to this police box, and as they get close, they realize it's humming. It's mm-hmm. vibrating, and he puts mm-hmm. his hand on it, and Ian says, It's alive. Which is interesting, because that would later become kind of a whiffly thing. Is the TARDIS alive or not? Right, right. Now, certainly he could have just meant, like, it's alive with electricity, but still. And it's and it's an odd thing for a character to come up with. I mean... Well, we'll talk things. about Ian's ludicrous jumps in logic in a second. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to put my hand on a vibrating thing, and clearly... That means it's alive. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to know about the inferential link that Ian Chesterton, Chesterfield, uh, Chesterton, Chatterton, Chatterton, Chesterhouse <laughs> uses Ch- here. Ian Chapterhouse Dune. Yes, Ian Chapterhouse Dune. Uh, he, he's no Bene Gesserit. I, okay. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm alive and I'm constantly vibrating. <laughs> right. But watch, put your hand on me. Oh, wow. You are extremely alive, sir. It's alive! Why are your eyes looking from left to right as if you were some sort of foreman? I'm not a spy! <laughs> some sort of foreman. Anyway. <laughs> so, actually, I, th- I found it really interesting, you know, that the parts of this episode that weren't an Outer Limits episode were... Those two or three parts. Those two or three parts. Um, even when it was trying to scare us with how weird... Susan is it, it just seemed to me like she's going through some polymath problems like yeah. this is this is like the public education system completely failing her part of it is that she has just such fundamentally incorrect knowledge for the time for the time which I mean like thinking that they're on the decimal system right right um, I mean one of Ian's lines that I wrote down is 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 she stupid or does she just not know right like that's real. Yeah, that's that's some that's some that's stuff. interesting. That's some stuff there. It's yeah, very sixties. It's very sixties. Very, um, very your first read of Ian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not fond of Ian. Um, he's funny in the sense where he falls down, and I laugh when he falls down. But uh, no, I, Ian didn't impress me this time. Particularly not now. Yeah. I think he gets better. Um, I'm sure. I mean, he would have to. Yeah, but please make him get better none of them were really interesting in this one yeah which is probably part of why the bbc didn't let this version of it go forward we haven't even i mean we've been talking about the side people and we haven't even gotten to william hartnell yet um (laughs) i mean susan susan was interesting um barbara was there to be your standard sort of but why why i'm going to ask the questions because that's my job as a character she's gonna be the, the lovecraftian protagonist right Except she doesn't become the hero victim. She just because it's a different show from that. Yeah, she just falls asleep in a chair. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, she really does. So fifth dimension is space. I found that very interesting. <laughs> so what are the first three? I mean, yeah, that's that's some interesting uh, interesting science fiction writing there. Um, it is. I, I'm not even thinking like I don't even think it's silly. I think it's genuinely interesting. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that one of her mistakes in science is that she can't finish the problem that Ian gives her 
with using with using not using that's a that's not a word using that's a third doctor villain probably <laughs> made out of trash bags yep uh so in ian in class gets with this problem to, and she's supposed to use a b and c as the three common dimensions to solve it and she says she can't do it she can't do it without d and e and ian jokingly says well obviously you think that the fourth dimension is supposed to be time what do you need e for big dramatic pause space yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, as far as, like, what I can understand from my very limited understanding of dimensional physics, I mean, isn't it wasn't the fifth dimension supposed to be, like, probability or something like that? I I, I watched the video. I watched that, that video, too. the ten dimensions. Yeah, it was, it was really informative, and I need to watch it again. It was really interesting, and I immediately forgot most of it. Yeah. We're, so, yeah. Speaking of that, yes. What's your background in, Jeffrey? Oh, oh, we didn't offer biographies. No, did we, we did not. Oh, okay. So uh, my background is primarily within uh, philosophy. Uh, I study more of the continental stuff, but I also study, uh, study analytic stuff. Um, particularly uh, relevant to this discussion, I am a hermeneutic philosopher uh, who seeks to recover interpretations and meanings which may not have been intended by the author but end up playing within the sort of field of language which already I can just hear so many people rolling their eyes um, so suffice it to say besides uh, doing the crazy philosophy stuff uh, I like my compatriot here I'm also a theater artist there's a reason we put this in the middle of the episode instead of at the end Oh. Or the beginning. Oh, we I buried see. it in the middle so no one would notice. That's clever. <laughs> you caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> I, I don't know what we're referring to. <laughs> I have no idea what wildly clever author we might be talking about. Anyway. You're such a clever boy. I'm just, you're, there's just blood on these microphones. going to be a thing. <laughs> Your, your fancy shiny new microphones so they're just you're gonna put your blood sweat and blood into them <laughs> anyway anyway as you may have inferred from Jeffrey's villain voice I'm a theater nerd yes I do theater writing and acting and, and that kind of thing he's a narrative junkie I'm a narrative person so Jeffrey's gonna be all critical theory I'm gonna be all what the hell just happened in the plot mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, and we're going to... So the idea is that with each of these episodes, with each of these serials, we will use the core plot and summarizing that as a, as a compass mm. to get us away from our respective fields. Tangents. Yes, because we will tangent wildly. All of the time. In fact, then we should probably just put that on the business card. We yeah. will tangent wildly. Wild Tangents is my favorite Spirit of the West cover band. You're going to get me listening to Spirit of the West again. Yep. Okay. That's my mission, as of right now. Good. Um, Another mission is this TARDIS thing. I was going to say, where were we again? Um, well, we we got to the alive thing. Yeah, so Ian and Barbara are, are putzing around the TARDIS, are checking right. out the junkyard. And then William Hartnell comes in, coughing and waving. Coughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm coming over there. <laughs> coughing like an English bulldog. <laughs> who is... Who is <laughs> Not even slightly trying to make sure that you know that he's there. Wearing a fascinating hat. What was that hat he was wearing? It wasn't a fez. 
it, it was it, not. It was not. It's it's a it's like a, it's got a shape, and it was like something out of some kind of northern European painting from like an eighteenth century yeah. master. You know. Yeah, and a proper cloak, which makes sense because it's a foggy London night. Yeah, and a scarf. And a scarf. Fairly reasonable clothing for yeah. what the Doctor would eventually become. Right, right. You know, there's no Colin Baker stuff here. There's no Pertwee stuff or Troughton stuff here. <laughs> right, right. Um, and he comes in, and he's very, what are you doing? Why are you here? He's very confrontational. He's very imperious. He's really good about finding the holes in what they're saying and using them to deflect. Yeah, yeah we, we see the Doctor as deflector uh, very, very early on. And what what was interesting is that even given the fact that this episode is rewritten, I mean, taken in the context of the series as a whole, we see the Doctor fulfilling the idea, the main idea behind the psychology of the Time Lords. I mean, he is very Time Lordy uh, in so this. The Prime Directive in Star Trek <laughs> is very similar, actually, to what the Time Lord core rule is which is non-interference observation right. not interference and that's something that kind of wanes over time in the series yeah. it has some really interesting variations especially since 2005 yeah. but I don't know what you're talking about because that doesn't exist yeah it doesn't exist yet Let, let's be clear we don't actively hate the new stuff we're yeah the new stuff is really good our focus is just we're going to be talking about the classic series it doesn't get enough love really yeah, exactly so yeah, I mean, I, I found, I found the doctor to be very Gallifreyan, for lack of a better term. Because yes, he's he's sitting here and he's extra moral, right? Yes, he is, he is above this sort of petty morality. He doesn't care that he's just kidnapped these people. Oh, we should get to the kidnapping too. Yes, so they're 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 huffing, they're puffing, they're arguing with each other, and oh. then Susan opens the door and says, "What's going on out here?" <laughs> right, the, the sort of the TARDIS and. <laughs> And Barbara starts to chase her in, and Ian shouts, Barbara, and the doctor shouts, Susan, shut that door. Right. <laughs> and suddenly they're all inside the police box. What right. did you notice about it? I, uh, it's smaller on the outside. <laughs> well played. Not my, not my favorite variation. My favorite variation is when Mike Yates first steps into the TARDIS. Oh. He, he steps in, and he's looking... Basically, he's looking at the stage lights. Because right. I've got him looking toward camera and up. like, ah! And the third doctor says, well, aren't you going to say it? And Mike says, oh, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, we see, we see the, the, the first uh, iteration. What's interesting is that this is an iteration where we don't get the tradition of the walk around. Yeah. Um, so earlier... Ian does walk around the outside of the TARDIS. Right. So that sets it up. Uh, right. and he disappears around one side, comes back around the other, and he brings that up. But, Barbara, you saw me walk around it. Right. Um, but there's no, there's no reaction walk around. Like, right. there, there so often will be in the, in the next series. Um, yeah. And we see, of course, the roundels. Yes. Not round things. The roundels. Roundels. Underline that. <laughs> Bold it. Billions and billions. <laughs> Randall's will be important in later iterations of the show. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and they're painted on in this one. Yeah, they are. The so ones on, on the door wall are there, but the <laughs> other ones are a tarp 
with them painted on. I doubt it's even a scrim. No, it's not it's, even. It's not a flat. It's just nope. a tarp with a them painted on. Tarp with circles painted and on I it. And I love how awful it looks. <laughs> it I, just I love it so atrocious. much. Um, weirdly decorated. There's a coat rack, which will become a standard, but yes. there's like a nice chair yeah. and a weird Notre Dame-looking clock. Right. It's strange, and we don't really get much of the console in this one, but... Right, it's it's, it's sort of there. It, it's a it's a minimal minimalist science fiction meets IKEA Notre Dame Gothic trope. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, a lot I of moving think parts. I followed you. Good, and I think you've got it. Good, basically. Great. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, and there's hanging things which you don't really get later on. Oh, that's right. There were hanging um, things. That's weird. And that won't come back till the Eighth Doctor. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get to him eventually. Oh, get to my boy, Paul McGann. We should get that out of the way right now. Jeffrey's doctor is the eighth doctor. It's so true. My doctor is the fifth doctor. It's so true. <laughs> to be fair, I also love the eighth doctor. He's amazing. Yeah, and I also love the fifth doctor. I mean, he's, he, I mean, Caves of Androzani. Enough said. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to that. Inside baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Baseball. We promise we're, we're doing this to help. Not to just make abstract references that you won't understand. Yes, we are totally making these abstract references you won't understand in order to help. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so they're in the TARDIS. They're in the TARDIS. Um, Doctor is harsh, I have. Oh, The Susan... Doctor's very aggressive. Yeah, he's very aggressive. He calls Susan a stupid girl. Yeah! That's some... That's some... Wow, dude! You just... You just... This is his granddaughter. Yeah, there's no compassion here. None at all. And he will eventually become very affectionate of her. Right. And and even eventually when he leaves her and on the surface it looks very awful, right. he's actually doing it out of love in a really interesting way. Right. It, his relationship with her will become very important later on, but here he calls her a stupid girl and... So Ian and Barbara have kind of been inferring that he's keeping her prisoner in a way, and it right. really feels that way. It does feel that he's way. He's built up very much like a villain in this one. Yeah. Yeah. No, so that was so a very jarring moment. Yeah, it, it really, it looks almost like they're setting Susan up as an Igor. Right. Because um, she knows how to operate the console. She she stands behind him when he does the dramatic villain pose. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, man, the dramatic villain pose where he's just like, yes. Clearly you've fallen into my plan. Well, and Susan is begging him to let Ian and Barbara go. Right. Uh, and he does not relent. And they try to go, and the doors won't open, right. because this, these are the days where the TARDIS doors could not be opened like normal doors. You had to flip a switch on the console. Right. Right. Uh, the TARDIS later corrected for that. There's there's discussion. Basically, it consists of Ian and Barbara being angry and Susan trying to get the doctor to let them go. Right. At one point, Susan establishes when she was born. The 49th century. Not on Earth, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, there is no attempt to make you think that they might be humans. There is yeah. no... There's nothing to let you believe that they're humans. They're very clear about the fact that they're aliens. Yes. Um, which is interesting and not what it will always be like later. Right. Right. There's going to be some pretense of like, no, clearly I'm sort of human. Not really. It's interesting how many of the things that would become tropes are not present in the, in this. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most jarring thing, especially if you come from it from the new series or even from like a any of the Bakers or Davison sort of background is going back and watching this unaired pilot. It's oh, kind yeah. of like a Frank Miller Doctor Who. 
that's true uh yeah because the doctor is is shown as such like a dark angry character who hates humans right and he has none of the humor yeah not none of the humor he's just sort of he's very rassilani yeah you know interesting right something to keep in mind chin scratching chin scratching and we get this whole thing of susan naming the tardis right coming up with the acronym which is also important and and Did you notice? Uh, maybe this is still when it is not called the TARDIS. It's true. It is just referred to as TARDIS. TARDIS. Yeah. Eventually, there will be phrases like "get back to TARDIS" because mm. it's a proper name. Doctor as mild psychopath is what I've written here, and I think not wrong. <laughs> I think uh, we've covered that. Um, information purity, which we already kind of covered. Uh, time travel is super dissonant. The soundtrack just totally went for like a skinny puppy kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) sort of like nine inch nails after dark uh if that makes any sense it doesn't oh but i believe you you should (laughs) they do this thing where they they well uh it is intentionally not like any other spaceship we've seen in media so far sure and the doctor even mentions that he uses the term ship about the ship as outdated technology for anything not on wheels, so that Ian and Barbara can have some vague understanding of it. Right, right. And, but when it when he triggers the dematerialization and Ian bumps him and it goes all haywire, there's kind of a clicking, beeping sound, mm-hmm. and then we cut to an exterior of London and it shrinks into blackness, and then just the opening titles without the words. Right, right. We get this sort of weird black and white time vortexy thing. And, and under that, we're looking at images of the Doctor and Susan, and it's kind of like True Detective 1963. <laughs> Where we, they, they look very somber. Yes. Like, yes, this is our duty as aliens. I would love somebody to cut in a handsome family on top of that visual. <laughs> or Leonard Cohen, really. <laughs> Even one of the not weird Leonard, Leonard Cohen songs. The war was lost. The treaty signed. And that's how I got into radio. Yes. Hartnell's eyebrows. That's another... They're certainly present. They were present. I I think uh, I I made the comment during the watch, uh, watching of the episode, where I'm like, well, Patrick McGowan, Patrick McGowan definitely got his eyebrow game inspiration from Hartnell. um, Because there were some aggressive acting eyebrows. Um, Which, again, if you really feel so compelled to bring in the current stuff, we can at least acknowledge Peter Capaldi is an excellent who fan, who fan and he does his research and there's a lot of Hartnell in Peter There Capaldi. really is. Um, there's also some in Matt Smith, more than is initially apparent. Yes. Um, they're both much more third doctor and I think Capaldi especially is bringing in very much of the... I mean, his first photo as the doctor, he was doing the pose that John Pertwee did in his first photo as the Doctor. Absolutely. And yeah. his costume is intentionally reminiscent of it. Yeah, same color pattern. Pat, pat, pardon? Color pattern. Color pattern. Color pattern. That's going to happen a lot. Yep. Um, fainting chair. This is another thing I have written down. Yeah, so in the dematerialization, Ian and Barbara fall unconscious. Like you do. Like this was uh, some sort of uh, romantic era ghost story kind of deal. Right. Barbara conveniently faints into the fainting couch. Hey, good aim. Ian doesn't. 
And well, Ian just rolls a one. We've we've established this. He has no dexterity score. None. He basically just falls at Barbara's feet, and when we've all recovered from the dematerialization, where he belongs, by the way. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> and when we recover from the dematerialization, the doctor and Susan are standing there, kind of like, hmm, hmm. You know what was a great shot, though, is the, the last shot of this episode. The last shot is really good. So we see the TARDIS materialize. Do we see it materialize? Or, is uh, it, or do we just cut to it and it's there? I, I think we cut to it and it's there. Okay. Uh, it's the tiny little, like, three-inch model of the TARDIS with the blinking light on top. Right. And it's on a sandy uh, surface. Yes. Yeah, it looks kind of like a beach, maybe. Right. Or just undeveloped land. And then there's a creepy shadow. And it's really well staged. It really is. I that I noted that several times. That it was surprisingly well, surprisingly well staged. Yeah. Uh, considering the time that they did not have to prepare that, Warris Hussein did a really good job of staging the show. Yeah. Um, very theatrical blocking. Yeah. Very. None of this rapid fire film stuff. Yeah. Io Nine eventually would. Well. Eventually, from the point of view of 1963, uh, from the point of view of now, a couple of years ago. IO9 did a list of the best cliffhangers in Doctor Who, and this was actually one of them. Really? Because the cliffhanger's the same in the actual aired version, because oh. it has the same story, but different. And it is actually very creepy. Yeah. The payoff for it's kind of disappointing when you find out it's just cavemen. Oh, oh, man, it's cavemen? Yeah. That is so disappointing. I can't tell if you actually didn't know that, or you're just being a guy. For the, for the you know microphone. You know what, though? I, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't know either. Because, um, actually, I did not remember that when you said it. And I'm like, wait. Oh, is yeah. it Caveman? <laughs> oh, yeah. Every, every, everybody talks about the Daleks as the Doctor's first enemy, but it was actually Cavemen. See, because I, 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 what I remember is the Aztecs. That sure is a serial that exists. Oh, does it exist? Yes. <laughs> Aggressively so. <laughs> it kind of confronts you with its existence when you watch it. Yeah, yeah, and you're left just sort of naked in your chair, grasping, or glasping, as I was trying to say. Grasping! Uh, grasping at my color pattern jacket. You're <laughs> glasping at your color pattern jacket. And a cover letter. And your cover letter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and with a coffee mug. And you're just slamming that coffee mug into your eye the entire time. Just icker all over. Ichor, yes. <laughs> Did you just try to turn icker into liqueur? Um, maybe. Because I can get you a recipe for that. Oh. Does it involve absinthe? No, it involves icker. Oh. So first you have to hunt down a god. Oh. There's going to be big words in this podcast. There sure are. Lots of big words. like Lots you, of swearing, too. Lots of ubiquitous swearing. I love to swear. And I can't help it. I spent 15 years as a musician. Um, it's just going to come out occasionally. I mean, it, the systematic language is going to come out, too, where I'll be like, yes, the object-oriented ontology of the TARDIS is really interesting, especially given that the TARDIS is an artifact on the same level as, say, the Holy Grail. But then I'm just going to say, fuck that dude. We don't need him. Not the TARDIS. We need that. We, her. We need her. Well, yes, but we haven't established that's a her yet. Ships are female. Uh. <laughs> that was a distressing moan. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was more just 
I, I concede your point, even if we also get pedantic. Um, I am the king of the pedants, but that's not true because we haven't formalized a king. <laughs> and I am, I am simply a pedant assassin. Um, my job is to be... He sneaks up behind you and stabs you in the back with a very specific fact. That's weirdly accurate. Actually, yeah. <laughs> wow, good job, dude. You're a pedant rogue. I'm a pedant paladin. There we go. No one should have put us in a room together. No one. No one. So, as uh, closing thoughts on um, on this unaired pilot. Weird. Yeah. It's horror. More horror than, than I expected. It's more horror than sci-fi. Yeah. It doesn't feel interesting yet. Yeah. Which it... makes sense, because it was actually... Doctor Who was originally commissioned as a 12-week miniseries. And then it kept going forever. Because people really fell in love with it. And if they had released this pilot, I don't know that that would have happened. Right. I think this this unaired pilot should occupy the same place as like James Joyce's Notes or Go Set a Watchman. Yeah. where it's, it's an artifact it's an artifact it's a draft it's very interesting if you come from the canon but if you're just approaching this as a newbie maybe don't maybe don't before we should we release this we should make sure that it actually never aired oh yeah it occurs to me yeah it, this thing never aired I mean it, this way we say unaired pilot we mean it um how did you get it it's well no it's actually included if you buy the DVD of An Unearthly Child. It's a DVD multi-pack thing. It includes An Unearthly Child, The Daleks, and The Edge of... Oh. Um, destruction, maybe? We'll, it's we'll a really it unmemorable episode Clearly, where because... the TARDIS is haunted. Oh, but see, that, that could have been really interesting. I mean, I love TARDIS episodes because they're... They just... to, to be fair, it might be really good at two in the morning. Ooh, some House of Leaves stuff. Yeah, it's the yeah. I think I think it's the Edge of Destruction. Okay, Edge of Destruction. We're gonna I'm call less it that. solid on the first two Doctors than I am on the later ones. It's okay. We're not judging you. You're not. They might be. They absolutely are. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, unaired pilot. I'm gonna give it. Uh, oh, we're gonna rate them. I'm just decided this right now okay <laughs> i am going to give it two two uh tin dogs out of <laughs> five sonic screwdrivers i'll leave it to you to interpret what that means now there, there are 300 pesos in a normal dog <laughs> so that means that two tin dogs is like 20 pesos <laughs> but I don't know. Well, somebody figure it out and tell us. Yeah, please. We'll have a Twitter and an email eventually. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Those are things we should set up. I and a website eventually. Oh yeah, that's that's, that's my job. Yeah, that's your job. My job is I, I already did my job. Well, no, I'm you actually doing. I'm doing my job. I'm literally now. doing it right now. Right now. Moving forward. Moving forward. We're aiming for twice a month, hopefully. Yes. Uh, the idea is that we will rotate through the doctors. Mm -hmm. So this episode doesn't count because it's for a pilot that doesn't count. Oh. So our next episode will actually be a full-length First Doctor serial, which will be randomly chosen. F I'm going to put on the imposition from the 
currently existing ones. Because there's so many lost episodes. Oh, I see. I, I didn't follow you, and then I did. Okay. Stop following me. Um, <laughs> I'm willing to... I, basically, if less than half of the episodes are missing, mm-hmm. I'm willing to watch it. Okay. That sounds like... If more point. than... If half or more are missing, then I just... Eh. Right. The, the reconstructions through photographs just don't hold my attention. No, they don't do well. So the idea is that the next episode will be a randomly selected first Doctor serial... The one after that will be a randomly selected second Doctor Serial, and then a randomly selected third Doctor Serial, and so on, until the eighth Doctor. Yes. Where wibbly things will happen. Wibbly things. Are we only doing, like, one serial per Doctor? After we finish the eighth Doctor, we will loop around. Oh, great. Go back to the first Doctor. Eternal Recurrence. I, I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, since we're never going to get through all of them. Right. Yes, Eternal. Yeah. <laughs> the eighth Doctor. There we go. Exists in the form of a TV movie that is real right down the middle. Eric Roberts as the master, everyone. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. The seventh doctor dies in a gang shootout. Yeah. Yeah. And then Frankenstein's back to life with electricity because reasons. And anyway. Has, anyway. More importantly. Yes. That's not where the eighth doctor lives. The nope. eighth doctor lives in the magical worlds of audio plays produced by Big Finish. Audio plays by Big Finish, you don't say. They're like this, but scripted and better. Yes. Than the nonsense we're spouting. <laughs> yes. So uh, Big Finish did a series of eighth doctor audio plays that followed the traditional format mm-hmm. of the series. So I'm saying that we will randomly select from the ones like that rather than the later ones that have a different format. Right. So basically the basically the run of Charlie Pollard as a companion we which, will select from there. Which oh, is Oh no, we're gonna have to listen to Charlie Pollard. How oh how can I stand it? Oh. Charlie Pollard is a Victorian adventuress and she's one of, she's genuinely one of my favorite companions franchise wide. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, this whole Alex Kingston business as much as I respect <laughs> as much as I respect Alex Kingston I have a lot of respect for Alex Kingston yes her all of her stories have been done better elsewhere yes and uh, yeah Charlie Pollard is a really good example of how to do this kind of character without all of the crap yeah 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 this is Jeffrey Davis parked 10 feet away from your door wishing you a wonderful this is Ethan McGivney. I love your jacket. <laughs> <laughs>